This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to The Church Boys Free Fall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell. I'm here today with somebody we had on the show not too long ago, in fact. It's Caleb Kaltenbach. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. Well, look, I'm I'm happy that you're that you're back to to talk about these issues because I think that right now there's probably no issue more pressing on the church. Well, I'm sure there are a few, but but one of the most pressing issues is definitely the issue of homosexuality and and how Christians should deal with that, are dealing with that, have dealt with that issue in the past and you know, your first interview people were really I mean, I think it had thousands and thousands of shares and a lot of listens, and people were really intrigued by what you had to say. I think your own personal story, and we'll link back to that so people can listen to that. So we don't have to go back into all of that again. There's so many other things I want to ask you about. Now, since since we last talked, your book, which we mentioned in the last interview, Messy Grace, has released. Um, tell me a little bit about the reaction to the book that you've that you've received so far. It's been a positive reaction. Um, I think to one degree, it's my story and, you know, you can't really argue against someone's experience because there's no foundation or basis. And if you try to, it just doesn't work, right? I mean, that's kind of argument 101, logic 101. Uh, however, uh, it, it, it's been well accepted in the evangelical Christian community. It's been well uh, accepted by some of my friends who are just unsure what to think. Um, I've even had uh, friends who are in the LGBT community, uh, some of whom like parts of the book, but obviously uh, there are two or three chapters that they're not going to like. But what I've heard from some of them, uh, I've really only received like one really negative review, but what I've heard from some of them is that uh, at least it's a chance to start dialogue. And uh, I think there's one Amazon reviewer uh, who gave it three out of five stars and said that she appreciates it because at least it is uh, asking the Christian community to lay down their swords and have a conversation. So whatever that means. But I mean, it, it's, so I, I think overall good. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think I think obviously you're not going to appease everybody because you're, you're dealing with a really, no. really uh, tough, tough topic. Um, what? Let me ask you this. What do you think that both sides, and I hate to break issues down like this, but let's face it, this is an issue that has many sides, but when we talk about the two polar extremes on this issue, and that would be, I think, um, and, and I'm not using extreme in a negative sense necessarily, but but Christians who are very fervently opposed to gay marriage um, and homosexuality, and then gay rights activists on the other side, what do you think the two sides get wrong about the other? I honestly believe that, first of all, neither side is listening to one another as much as they should. Um, I don't think that, I think that some in the Christian community are. I think some in the LGBT community are. I think some in the LGBT (coughs) community recognize that some in the Christian community are trying to understand from their perspective. And I think that some in the Christian community are actually beginning to really just sit down and, and listen uh, to how the other person is feeling and their experience and so on and so forth. But I still think that on both sides of the issue, you still have people that are making this 
uh, are really blowing it out of proportion from what you see on social media and there being attacks on both sides of the issue of, you know, somebody from the LGBT side post something, Christians will come and swarm in. Somebody on the Christian side, you know, post something, uh, extremists and the LGBT community will swarm in. So I think that we need to listen. I think that we need to understand where the other person is coming from, especially Christians. I mean, here's the deal. When somebody comes out to you and I, or if somebody shares with you that they are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, my guess is that they probably, Billy, already know what the Bible has to say about same-sex intimacy. That's that's what I'm willing to bet. Even if they're not, uh, even if they're not used to the Bible, most people know that the Bible is not interpreted by conservative and evangelical Christians to be favorable towards uh, same-sex relationships. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to listen uh, to what they have to say, and as we listen to what they have to say. You know, I believe that God gives us margin, and I believe that He gives us probably a little bit more compassion, but also an opportunity to build a relationship with somebody. And as we build a relationship with somebody, as we focus on that, I think that God gives margin for us to have more difficult conversations, more detailed conversations. But I think the first step, Billy, is that I think that both sides need to get better at listening. That's what I think. Yeah, and, and it really does seem like that is the problem, and nobody's really listening. And I think you look at the Kim Davis battle, you look at all these different battles, the bakeries, the you know all of those things where, you know, and I've said this publicly, and I, I'm not supposed to have opinions, but I, I have said this publicly, and I wrote an op-ed about it, which I don't do very often, um, is that I don't understand why there isn't a middle ground on a lot of these things. To me, there are very, and I know that people don't see it that way, a lot of people see either either one way or another, but... It seems like there could be a world in which everybody li- gets to live the way that they want to live, operate their business the way that they want to operate, and and exercise the rights the government has given them um, in a balanced way that everyone can just respect. But I don't, I don't. Why do you think we can't seem to get there? That it just, it seems like, and maybe you just answered it, but you know, it just seems like more than ever, and not just on this issue, on a lot of other issues, there is a, a divisiveness at play that's almost disturbing. Okay, so I have a personal opinion on this, and many may not agree with me, and uh, I, but I'm going to tell you my personal opinion, and I've really been thinking about this more and more. Um, do I think this is about uh, LGBT uh, marriages, equal rights, Yes, to a degree I do. I mean, I, again, you know my original story. I grew up in this community. I marched in gay pride parades. I witnessed uh, not only the the, the uh, aggression of the extreme Christians, but the aggression of the extreme LGBT people. So I've seen uh, the ugliness of both sides. But I think there's something, I think there are two things that we need to think about when we think about just these divisive, these divisive issues. I think that in America we're seeing a reaction. And I could be wrong, but here's what I believe. Number one, a lot of people say we need to have biblical family values. And I agree with that. But, Billy, show me one family in the Bible that was normal, right? <laughs> show me one family in the Bible that didn't have issues. There were so many issues in the Bible of families. Now, I do believe in the New Testament, Paul... Uh, and, and the other New Testament writers, uh, including Jesus, really give us formula and principles for what a healthy marriage looks like, for what 
uh, raising kids looks like. I mean, we see all that, and we even see that in the New Testament. But as far as looking at examples of family values, that's different. I think that there are a couple of reasons for the divisiveness that we see in our country right now when it comes to this issue. And do I think that to some degree it is about uh, LGBT community uh, rights, so on and so forth? Yes, I do. But I think that there's a deeper layer. I think that uh, to some degree that's a cobweb and there's something else going on that's brewing underneath. And I think it has to do with two issues. One we talked about, I think, a little bit in your last uh, in our last talk together, and that was identity. I think that people uh, view this when it comes to same-sex issues as an identity. Uh, they don't look at it as a sin. Christians look at it as a sin. Uh, people who are in same-sex relationships are pursuing them. They look at it as part of their identity, not uh, necessarily do they think that it's their primary identity. Some of them very well may, but others uh, still see it as an identity issue. And, and so I think there's a disconnect there. But I also think to some degree what we see here and uh, with the uproar uh, when it comes to this issue, I think that we are seeing kind of somewhat of a rebellion of uh, the 1940s and the 1950s American family. You know, you had the Leave it the Beaver, the Ozzie and Harriet family. You had the two kids, the dog, the mom, dad, white picket fence. I mean, everything was perfect. Back in the 40s and 50s, you know as well as I do, that not everything was perfect. Uh, people were being abused at homes and it wasn't really being talked about. People were being molested. People were being hurt. People were being raised by one-parent families, two-parent, uh, you know, by grandparents. People were being uh, raised in, in orphanages. I mean, you just keep on going down. And even people that, that reached the quote-unquote uh, traditional American family, you know, still had a rough and they weren't able to uh, keep up the image that we painted. And then, you know, the, uh, some Christians try to say, well, you know, the traditional American family equates with uh, biblical values. Well, yes and no, because I look at a lot of families in the Bible, and they got issues. I mean, you know that as well as I do. You look at them, they have issues. Now, Jesus and Paul uh, and, and the other writers in the New Testament give us some great principles for marriage and children and that kind of thing. And even in the book of Deuteronomy and so on, we have some great principles in there when it comes to kids. But at the same time, I think that we've equated so much of the American family with a biblical family that when people felt like they couldn't measure up and people weren't, don't feel like they're being listened to, I think that to some degree we're seeing a reaction to that. We're seeing a reaction not only of the 40s and 50s, but also into the 80s. And so I think that this is a huge identity issue. And again, that's why I say uh, we need to listen. But at the same time, uh, for Christians, evangelical and conservative Christians, there are going to be boundaries. And one of those boundaries is uh, same-sex intimacy. And so I, I don't know that that will ever cease to be a tense line. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think back to the abortion debate, and I brought this up a number of times. In this country, in 1973, abortion, which is one of, obviously gay marriage and abortion, the two biggest social issues, um, you know, the court didn't really settle that debate. And I think with gay marriage, yes, the, the society has moved in a direction and people's opinions have changed. Um, but it would seem to me it's a very different issue from interracial dating and all the other things that are compared to it, right? That when you say, well, you know, all these other issues, they remedied themselves, this is going to remedy itself too, people are going to just change their views. It would seem to me that a good chunk of people are not going to change their views because they are very deeply, as you were saying before, embedded in the biblical, the mainstream biblical interpretation. It isn't just a biblical interpretation. It's the one 
that people have come away with most. And it would seem, and correct me if you think anything I'm saying is wrong, but it would seem that there's a big difference between gay marriage even and support for that and the support for the relationships, as you just as you just mentioned, the actual relations, which, you know, that seems to be what the Bible is talking about, the relations themselves. Um, you know, I guess my question to you is where do Christians go from here? Because they haven't always managed the issue well. So what moving forward in this new paradigm of what's legal and what's not, where do, how do Christians behave and what, and what do they do on this issue? Right. Well, I think uh, a couple different things. One, I agree with you completely. I think that this is going to be very similar to um, uh, the abortion issue. I know some pastors are saying, well, we're going to be hauled off and sent to jail. I don't know that that's going to happen. Maybe it will someday, maybe it won't, I don't know. But I do know that the Church does well when it's persecuted, but I don't think that America is being persecuted in that way. I think when you go over to Indonesia, India, the Middle East, and you see persecution of Christians over there, so how dare we say that about anything here on a cultural level? But at the same time, I think what's fueling this, too, is you have political parties that are just really taking advantage of this, just like they use the whole abortion debate, you know, to define themselves as Democrat or ultra-conservative Republican. And too often, you know, the LGBT community are made out to be votes or villains, right? I mean, some, not all, but some in the Republican community will make out LGBT people to be villains so that they can earn votes, while some in the Democratic community man, they will stand up for their rights and they will do everything. But at the end of the day, they want to keep their job. And so they see them as to be those to be gained. So I don't see any party that really has the best interest in mind. I see Jesus Christ as having the best interest in mind. And so that's where I think we need to slow down. And if people do see this as an identity issue, Billy, as I don't mean to sound repetitive, but we do need to listen. Because at our church, uh, you know, Discovery Church, we love to have conversations and we have all sorts of people that attend our church. We have Democrats and Republicans. We have people who are gay and people who are straight. And we have uh, people just all over the board. And even within the LGBT people that attend our church, and even though they know that we define uh, sexual intimacy being between a man and a woman, they still come because they're treated with respect. Uh, we love them. Uh, they, you know, Many of them know there's a boundary there, but they still come because they're part of our community. And here's something that we've learned, that even within the LGBT community, relationships look different. Like, for instance, there's one couple that attends our church. They've been together for 30 years. They're not sexually intimate. They live in the same house, but they sleep in separate bedrooms. You know, so, I mean, what, what is that about? You know, what does that look like? That, that's not the quote-unquote stereotype that some Christians paint. Or, you know, the teenager that is confused and... You know, the, the person that has decided to be single because of biblical conviction. And uh, then you have people in between relationships that aren't sure, you know, how to define themselves anymore. Uh, so that's why I say, I think that, again, I know it sounds like a broken record, but being intentional with conversations and listening to find out where people are at, I think that's going to help. And I think that we need to be more intentional about what we believe the Bible says because when somebody says, okay, homosexuality is a sin, I mean, that, that is just such an umbrella phrase in our society. I understand what people mean when they say it, but I mean, that's such an umbrella phrase, and I have so much baggage. And that's why, at our church, we define it by same-sex intimacy. That's what we believe. Now, are there other issues associated with that? Yeah. But we've decided to be very, very intentional 
because we understand that there are a lot of people that are walking through this. They're not under, they're not sure what this is going to look like for them. Like we have couples in our church, Billy, uh, men uh, who are in gay relationships, met a woman, developed very strong emotional feelings with that woman. They turned into romantic feelings and now they're married and they have a great marriage and they have kids, but they always have open communication because he is still attracted to men, but he loves his wife. And so that's why I say this issue is not simple. And I think Christians need to own that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely complicated. And I mean, what happens if somebody comes to you and says, well, first of all, two questions in your church, if you have rela- if you have people coming who are in gay, re- gay relationships, and they come together, is there ever debate in the church? Is there ever people who say, well, you shouldn't be welcoming here, or they shouldn't be, we shouldn't be accepting this? You know, like, let's say they want, let's see that, say that couple or an individual in that couple want to be an elder or be more involved in the church. Or they come to you and say, hey, will you marry us? <laughs> you know, and that's a very different issue. But how do you handle all of those elements? Because that, that has to get tricky, I would imagine. It, it, always, it always gets tricky. And it, it's with, it, with anything in the church, right? Uh, first of all, we, as I said before, we have people in our church who are all on different sides of political spectrums, uh, spectrums on abortion, so on and so forth. And so, uh, you know, but within our church leadership and our staff culture. I mean, we definitely uh, believe in the, in the traditional view of uh, sexual intimacy. Um, you know, we believe that uh, God designed sexual intimacy to be expressed between a man and a woman uh, in the context of marriage. But at the same time, we also believe that a theological conviction should never be a catalyst to treat someone less. And so there's tension there. There's grace and there's truth. And that's that kind of middle ground that you're talking about right there in the beginning of our conversation, Billy. It's, it's not easy to walk in grace and truth. You know what's easy? What's really easy is to take any kind of policies, which we do have in our church, and to post them <coughs> and to say, okay, this is what we say. This is the answer to this. This is the answer to this. But when you post policies all around, you know, I understand the policies protect, and we have policies. But when you post policies all around, whether it's on the website or in the church, you hinder conversations. And you could hinder a conversation that could lead uh, to you getting to know a person better, to another person unloading things that are going on in their life, and you can just find out what's going on in their life. But if we just put a big, flat policy in front of somebody, it doesn't always work. That's why in the New Testament, I think that Jesus was very, very good at asking questions of people. When people came up to him with litmus test questions, he was even better at turning the question around and asking them a question. Because I think Jesus understood, like we should, that conversations gain influence. Policies protect, but conversations gain influence. And there's so much that can happen in those conversations. So, I mean, the, the positive thing for us, Billy, is that nobody wants to get married in our church. Our church, I mean, we have stained concrete. Uh, we're very kind of modern-looking, I guess. And um, I don't like doing weddings, so I just don't. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's a good thing, I guess. But at the same time, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? When yeah. We lean into, we do have policies and we do have a theological statement, but we lean into conversations because we have no idea where the person is, what they've been through, what their experience is, what has led them to this point, and we want to be part of their journey. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, my last question for you today. How did your parents, um, how have they reacted to your book? Oh, they, they love it. They're big fans of it. Um, 
you know, obviously we have different theological convictions on some issues. You know, they are uh, newly in Christ, uh, but we have different theological views on different points, and that's okay. Uh, but the main thing is, is that they believe in Jesus, and uh, they they have this this view on um, you know sexuality now that I think is still evolving. But they're not in same sex relationships, and they're really working hard, I think, to understand uh, what the Bible says, uh, not just about holy living, but uh, about all different matters. But I think that they're happy, just like I am, that. At the very least, hopefully the book will spur on conversation. Hopefully the book will help the Christian parent who has no idea that their teenager is about to come out to them to not overreact and to not think that they have to swing the pendulum on the other end and be very, very harsh, but to be loving and and to listen and to still say, that's my son, you know, I'm still there for my son, just like the father of the prodigal son did. and I'm not necessarily calling gay teenagers prodigals. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, no, right I get there. it. And so, well, I lied to you because I have one more question for you. What's your advice? What, what's your advice for a parent who, in that situation, their kid comes to them, says, "I'm gay," um, and you know that parent hopes over time that they can instill in them the biblical definition of what it means to be, you know, created under God and, and male and female and all of that. Um, but but really, that that does not come to pass. The child decides they're going to continue on, um, and and that they are gay, and and that that's that. And you know, what does that parent do with marriage and all of those things that come with it? I mean, how does that parent then deal with the situation moving forward? Here's here's my advice. No matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, God has still called you to be a parent to your child. And I don't believe that love has an exception clause. I mean, I look at the spirit of what Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen, and Romans even Romans twelve, beginning in verse nine, all the way through the end of the chapter, where he talks about compassion and having peace, and and by as far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. And you have Jesus's words, uh, you know. And I don't think a child is a parent's enemy, but the whole spirit of what he's saying in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, you know, uh, when he says, love your neighbors, you know, pray for those who persecute you. And and again, I'm not saying that gay teenagers or anybody are persecuting their parents, but, but Jesus is saying, hey, you need to be very, very good at loving people. Just because you don't agree with somebody, just because they're different, just because uh, they, they are, are doing things differently or have a different worldview, um, that doesn't give us the right to not love someone. And there are a lot of Christians who will point to 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says, don't even eat with such a person, expel the immoral brother. Understand, but Paul is talking about a very specific context and a very specific situation that is going on in the church in Corinth. And so, I mean, are there times when church discipline is applied? Absolutely. But when you're a parent, God has called you to be a parent during the good times and the bad times. And turning your back on your kid, and that is one of the most hurtful, painful things that they could ever do. And I don't care how old your kid is. If their life ever comes down crashing down around them, and, and you've alienated them, and you have said, for the sake of Christ, I'm going to push you away. Well, you haven't done anything for the sake of Christ. You've done something that you think you're theologically or religiously 
held to do, and that's not right. And if your kid's life comes crashing down, they're not going to feel comfortable going to you. And they'll probably go to people that will have bad influence in their life or people that maybe don't love God like you do. And so I think that we have to be very, very careful. As far as the marriage question, I address that in my book. I mean, you know, I, I think that, honestly, that's a situation that you have to look at the context. You have to think about how you feel theologically about it. Um, and, and you have to decide, okay, is, is me not attending, is that going to hurt the other individual? Are they going to be understanding? Am I going to lose influence? There are a whole bunch of questions. But, um, you know, again, it, it's not easy. It's part of living in that tension of truth and grace. But there's a name for that tension, and it's love. Love is the tension of grace and truth. I think the more we love people, the more influence we will have in their lives to be able to speak truth when God gives us margin to. Yeah, I think that question of do you go to a gay wedding, should you be in a gay wedding if one of your best friends asks you, I think that question, you know, you hear a lot of people, a lot of reporters ask that question, I think, to get the soundbite, to trick somebody, you know, to, but I do think, I mean, that is a question that a lot of people are dealing with and a lot of people are going to continue to deal with and increasingly so, I think, in, in the coming years of whether or not they should be there to not only maybe celebrate a wedding, but to actually be in that wedding. Um, right. Those are tough questions. Re- it's a really tough dynamic for those who have a so, traditional view. Right. So here's here's what I say in my book. And, uh, you know, I spell it out a little bit more in, in my book. But what I say is really there's really two decisions you can make, right? The first decision is not to go. <clears throat> and that's, that's you know... Uh, a very godly and biblical decision um, to some degree if, if you're basing it on Scripture because you believe that God did create marriage uh, to be between a man and a woman, and uh, you you want to uphold and stand for that covenant. I know a lot of people have made that decision, and their people may love their kids, but they feel very, very convicted about it. But then there are people that don't agree with marriage, but they'll go. Uh, because they want to gain and keep influence with their loved one, and they don't want to be somebody that hurts their loved one by not attending uh, the wedding. And they, they, you know, will instead of saying congratulations, will say, you know, things like, uh, we love you so much, you know, we're here for you, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, the presence there uh, is, is more in support of the individual, you know, than, than the event that is happening. And so that's why I say, and there are a lot of preachers who will probably disagree with me, and that's fine, um, but it almost seems like some of the times a Romans 14 issue, where, hey, you have two options, you know, for lack of a better word, maybe one parent considers themselves a missionary and goes to the wedding, and the other parent considers themselves standing for the truth and doesn't go. Uh, but, you know, I think Paul ends Romans 14 very well when he says, whatever you do, you know, Make sure that it comes from faith. Make sure that it comes from your conviction. Make sure that it comes from love. And that's really what I tell people, because ultimately, I can't be the one to tell people what to do or what not to do. I think that that comes from time that they spend with the Lord. Would you say the same about being in a wedding? Like if you were asked to be in a wedding party? Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I mean, probably, but you know what's funny, Billy? Um you were the first person that's ever asked me that question. I, mean, I haven't really thought about it. I've never no, thought it's about funny that. because it's something that I've you know, thought about. Yeah, actually, it's something that I've thought about recently. Question. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's something to ponder, right? I don't know. I, I think it's. No, absolutely. Uh, I think that that is a another dynamic that that is coming for people, and and I do think that some would say, well, that's totally different from going, and then others would say, well, no, it's not that different from going if you hold that traditional view. And I think, uh, well, listen, you have been great, and I appreciate you taking all the time, and we would love, love, love to have you back again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.